It's always a delight to be able to assemble together, to look out and see smiling faces, to see all those who gather together to worship God. Uh, for us to have visitors among us, we're always usually blessed to have visitors among us. And we thank you for being here with us today. And we invite you to take your Bible and study along together with us. We're going to be studying from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. And so I invite you to open your Bibles there. We're going to notice some of the details of this great passage. The book of Acts, in my judgment, is a very special book. It reveals to us the amazing growth that the Lord's church experienced as it began in the first century. There's so much to listen to and learn from Luke's account of this great event. The gospel was allowed to go into all the world, to people from every sort of life, those who were from the highest places in government to the lowliest person on the street. When there was a prophecy made regarding Paul and what he would do in Acts 9 and verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. We see the preaching to the Gentiles. That is the ones to whom Paul was sent. We know that he preached the gospel to those who were Jews. Wherever he went, he would go into the synagogue and there he would preach and teach God's message. But he also went to kings. And he preached the message of God to those people who were in positions of power. And there's so much that can be learned from that for us today. To begin with, I'd like for you to imagine in your mind giving the opportunity to teach. Let's say, for instance, someone calls and says, I am from the office of the President of the United States. He has heard that you have faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to know what you believe. He wants to know what a person must do in order to be saved. Imagine it's the governor of the state of Tennessee. Imagine if it is the prime minister of a foreign country. But Paul was given the opportunity to speak among men like this. When we read the latter part of the book of Acts and Paul extends his appeal to Caesar, to Caesar he goes. When he writes the letter to the Philippians, he makes a very revealing statement in chapter 4 verse 22. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Caesar's household. Paul was given the privilege to preach before great men. And this morning we're going to study about his preaching before the proconsul who was in the island of Cyprus. And so here's what we want to do in our lesson. And you can pretty much look through the passage and you can see these three ideas. Number one will be the place to where they were sent. Number two will be the people to whom they preached. And number three will be the application of this idea to ourselves, and that is the pursuit of truth. I believe that studying this lesson can help each of us as we deal with those with whom we come in contact every day. Let's begin, first of all, 
to the place. You go back to verse 4 and you find out that they leave Antioch. They go and they sail to the island of Cyprus. We learn that this is also the home of Barnabas. That may give you some kind of indication as to why they went here first. Back in chapter 4, verse 36, we learn in Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. That means he was from that little island nation. And we also learn just a couple of weeks ago as we studied part of Acts chapter 11 that the gospel was preached to those people in the area of Antioch by men who were from the island of Cyprus. In Acts 11 verses 19 and 20. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Preaching the word to no one but to Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. I think it's interesting. The first place that Paul and Barnabas go is to Barnabas' home area. But there are men from Cyprus who've learned the gospel previously. And these are men that also are willing to share their faith and to preach the gospel. We learn from Luke that they first landed in Salamis and then they went to Paphos. That's going across the island from the very eastern point to the western point, which is about 100 miles. They went through the island. That is, they didn't sail around it. They went through it. And the city at the westernmost end is called Paphos, it was the capital city. That's where the proconsul and all of his administration would have been located. But it was also known as being the birthplace of Aphrodite, that Greek goddess of love. And so the city was well known. If you look at a map, you will see at the right-hand side, you'll see down about two-thirds of the way Antioch, the city from which they depart. You'll see then to the left the island of Cyprus. You'll see Salamis and then Paphos as they make their journey through. But now let's talk about the people for just a minute or two. The people on the island are important people. But Luke singles out two characters that are worthy of our observation. Their name is Elymas or Bar-Jesus is his other name. And the other man's name, the proconsul, is Sergius Paulus. Now, Elymas is said to be Bar-Jesus. The word Bar in the Hebrew language means son of. So, Elymas, son of Jesus, or son of Joshua. In chapter 13, verses 6 through 10, we're going to read about them. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, 
withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, lifted, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the right ways of the Lord? Wow. Pretty strong statements. What do I know about Elemas or Bargesus? The original word is magus. That means he is a magician. When you say someone is a magician, he's a wise man. He is a prognosticator. Frequently, those people who were in positions of power would arrange around themselves people who would look up at the stars and they would make predictions based upon those stars. Some wise men were really wise men. They could make predictions based upon the seasons of the years, based upon the stars' position in the sky. Others would use them to be um, some sort of a necromancer, some sort of a, an interpreter of signs. The best way I can illustrate it to you is like this. Some of you may have heard of astronomy and astrology. The astronomer looks at the sky and he makes certain conclusions based on it. The astrologer looks at the sky and he makes his pronouncements upon it. An astronomer is a person who studies the stars and he knows, for instance, when the certain seasons of the year will occur. The astrologer just simply says, oh, if you're a Gemini or if you're a Taurus or if you're one of these others, you'll have a bad day today. Or, and it's nothing more than just fake news and fake science. Well, here he's a fake. He's a fraud because Luke says he's a false prophet. A false prophet is one who claims to speak for God but doesn't speak for God. Luke tells us he's a Jew. That's much like Simon the sorcerer. You remember back in Acts chapter 8 and verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great. Um, there are always people out there like that willing to be false prophet. But notice Paul says, you are full of all deceit. You're full of all fraud. You're not a truth teller. You are a deceiver. And then the next one, you son of the devil. Now that's not a curse. That's not being uh, profane. Paul's telling the truth. The reason why Paul's telling the truth, if you remember John 8 verse 44, he said, you are of your father, the devil. And then he goes on to say that the devil was a liar and the father of it. Oh, the devil never tells the truth. Here, Elemas is the son of the devil because he doesn't tell the truth either. He is an enemy of all righteousness. 
This man's not interested in God's will being done. He's not interested in good following. He's simply an enemy of that which is right. And then Paul says, will you not cease perverting the right ways of the Lord? Here's this man trying to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, the law of the Old Testament was very clear about those kind of people. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of the nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or practices witchcraft or is a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls upon the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. Because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. God said, I don't want people like this among us. That's what Elymas was. He was a sorcerer. You know, evidently some people think that God's laws don't apply to them. They think that they can do whatever they want to as long as there's some profit in it or some pleasure in it. Elymas was trying to persuade the proconsul to do what he wanted done. He saw the gospel as a challenge to his deception. You remember Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the proconsul heard what Paul and Barnabas had to say, it would have exposed Elymas as being nothing more than a fraud. And so he sought to turn the proconsul from the faith. But the second person that we are introduced to is Sergius Paulus. Now, this proconsul, we are told, looking in verse 7 and verse 12, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now dropping down to verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When you say he's a proconsul, that's pretty important. That was a specific office in the Roman government. It was a senatorial province. In other words, the senators were over this area. He was appointed by the Roman Senate to serve in a peaceful area where there's not a lot of uprising. He had Senate-level ability. In other words, if you take Sergius Paulus, he's not only a man serving in this position, but had he returned to Rome, he could have served in the Senate himself because that's the kind of man that he was. And Luke says he's an intelligent man. I've met many people that are in positions of power, and I wonder how they got their clothes on that morning. But Sergius Paulus is a bright, intelligent man. We're going to notice in a moment just what that really means. 
but we know that he sought to hear the word of the Lord. There's something important that he wants to know. Here are Paul and Barnabas passing through the island. Perhaps they have already preached the gospel and he's thinking, is there something I don't know? Is there something else I need to learn? Hopefully, intelligent men are the kind of people who realize if there's something else out there to know and understand, they'll go for it. And after having heard Paul and Barnabas teach, he believed, put his faith in God. And we are told he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Not just astonished at what Paul and Barnabas did, but they are, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There's some great message here. Now, as I think about Luke calling him intelligent, Luke uses a real special word. This word describes a person who's able to pull together all the facts, understand those facts, and come to a good conclusion. None of us know everything. None of us have a full, complete knowledge. But if we're called upon to make a decision, what do we do? We're the kind of people, hopefully, that tries to get information. Well, is this good or is this bad? Is this right or is this wrong? Should I do A or should I do B? Should, should I follow? Sergius Paulus wanted to hear it all. And Elimus didn't want him to. A wise man wants to hear all the facts and he wanted to hear the word of God. And he overcame the hindrance that Elymas was to him. He was able to listen through the noise of a man trying to turn him away. Now for just a few minutes, what does that mean to you and to me? How do I take what I learn here in Acts 13, verses 4 through 12, and let that have some sort of meaning in my life? This account illustrates the nature of this world. When you and I are pursuing truth, we're going to encounter resistance from error. Wherever you have somebody trying to do what is good, there's going to be somebody trying to prevent the good from being done. I'm always amazed myself that I hear people, you know, I would think, why shouldn't everybody be pro-life? Why shouldn't everyone want a little baby to be born? And yet, if a person today stands up and says, I'm pro-life, do you know what's going to happen? They're going to be attacked and say, oh, you're against people having a choice. What's their choice? To take the life of that young, innocent child? That's murder. And yet today, if you try to stand against those people like Planned Parenthood, you're going to be labeled as someone who is narrow-minded and bigoted, among many other things. I want you to listen to Scripture for just a minute. 1 John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. They are of the world. They speak as the world, and the world hears them. 
we're of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Oh, you mean the world has its voice and God has his voice and those people who love God and appreciate God listen to him. Those who love and appreciate the world listen to him. Yes. But here's a man in between and he's hearing both sides. You recognize the spirit of truth and error. You go to the book of Romans chapter 1. Paul is trying to describe the current situation in the pagan world, much like ours today. And he said in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. To suppress it, they don't want it to be spoken. There is a current effort in many countries. Canada is one of them. Most of Europe are the others. Where if you label someone who is committing a homosexual act as being a pervert, you are now involved in hate speech. And so what they're attempting to do is to take and suppress the truth by unrighteousness. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I learned something else here. There are people who do not love the truth. The reason they don't love the truth is because They take pleasure in their unrighteousness. They enjoy it. You tell people who are living together who are not married, that's fornicating. And you tell them that that violates God's law, and yet you're told, oh, you're not supposed to say that. Or you tell people that this little boy and this little girl are boys and girls, And somebody says, oh, but you can't tell them what gender they are. Genesis 1, verse 26. He made them male and female from the very beginning. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. What kind of conclusion should I draw from those passages which we have just studied? The world is going to have its perspective. It's going to have its worldview. But those of us who are children of God still must declare that message. Well, let's start applying it a little bit there are still fertile fields for teaching. 
It's not as if the devil has taken the whole world and has control and you and I have no means of teaching. Oh, we do have. We've got the truth. We need to realize that wherever we go, we carry the truth with us. Some are seeking to learn more. I'm always impressed with young people. Because young people's hearts are usually open and they're willing to listen and they're willing to evaluate and they're willing to learn. Oh, can some be persuaded by the evil? Sure they can. But I've often found young people with open hearts, open minds, willing to listen, willing to evaluate, willing to learn. But there will always be those who dissuade others from the truth. How should we react? Should we simply say, oh, I guess they're smarter than we are, or I guess that they have more power than we do? That's not what Paul and Barnabas did. They confronted Elymas. They confronted what he was trying to do. And they called him out for his deceit. Should you and I be willing to do that? Yes. Someone tries to tell your child that they're nothing more than an animal. That they're here strictly by the product of natural forces known as evolution. You still have the right to ask the question, which came first, the hen or the egg? And for all the intelligence that those who possess want to say, that is a question which deserves an answer. For those of us who are Christians, we know the answer. The hen came first. God made the hen. The hen laid the egg and thus began the way after its kind, according to Genesis chapter 1. You see, the problem for the evolutionist is they don't have a a means or a mechanism to have the hen or the egg. We must give reasons to persuade people. The Bible is logical. The Bible is reasonable. The message of the cross. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks the reason of hope that is within you with meekness and fear. When someone asks you, why do you believe? Because the evidence is there. Acts 19 verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. And then Acts 28, verse 23, So when he had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Someone says, why do you believe? Let's open the Bible. Let's start asking the questions and let's seeking for the answers that are given there. I know in our audience we have those who have not yet obeyed the gospel. And I would ask, would you exhibit 
the same honesty, the same integrity, the same intelligence of Sergius Paulus. As the many voices are are speaking about, will you listen to his voice? There are plenty of reasons for you to believe. I'm just going to end with one. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, And truly Jesus did many other signs, which in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Here's the evidence. Jesus is the Son of God. Well, if he is the Son of God, what, how do I react to that? I've got to believe in him. That's exactly what the proconsul did. But if I believe in him, then what have I got to do beyond that? I've got to repent of my sins. You know, God has a law and I'm either doing what he said to do or not. And if I'm not doing what he said to do, I've got to change my life, change my behavior. Then I've got to be baptized. That is immersed in water for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. We're going to sing the song, There's Power in the Blood. And if you need to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, come down to the front. We'll assist you in being baptized. And if you're one of God's children who needs to come home, would you come as together we stand and sing?